Welcome to the Wellness Renaissance Podcast, exploring topics to help you find the pieces that fit into your health puzzle. But again, when it becomes a symbol of one's identity, it becomes personal really fast, really quickly. And we're in this kind of cauldron of tensions around identity Mm -hmm. and rights and liberation and freedoms and who we are and whether we're heard or recognized, you know, and I think as one movement rises and gets attention, other movement feels alienated and wants attention. And there are individuals who are part of these movements. I mean, it's amazing at all that we're able to cooperate ever. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, But if cats can do it, we can do it. Hey, you guys, and welcome. This is Judy with Wellness Renaissance and the Wellness Renaissance Podcast. You just heard Naomi Bartley. You may recognize her voice. She was with us in episode 120 talking about eco-anxiety. And today we are talking about COVID fatigue in certain aspects, probably very similar to what was experienced back in 1918 with the Spanish flu. A lot of very similar concerns about People not getting their social needs met, people not being able to do the things that they want to do on a daily basis. But here we are in 2020, and it's hard to believe it would be interesting to time travel back then just to be able to see what that was like. And they didn't have Facebook and didn't have the ability to connect as easily as we do now and know what's going on with our friends and our neighbors and our society in general. But here we are in 2020, so let's talk about that. You probably have your own version of what's frustrating about COVID, the needs that you need to get met, the things that are stressing you out, and you probably know from listening to other people that their challenges might look very, very different, and again, with different perspectives. So we're going to talk about a lot of different things, everything from coping in this time, how do we, you know, kind of make our days work? How do we set ourselves up so that we are succeeding through this and dealing with situations where maybe we don't have a connection, physical or social with other folks? Yep, we're definitely going to talk about the holidays and the gatherings and, and the challenges that we're having with that, the hard decisions that sometimes that we have to make. The challenges of dealing with the competing needs and desires that we have going on right now. We're going to talk about our own power, our leaders and listening to our leaders and creating community and figuring out our way through this. So we have a lot to talk about and I want to get you into our conversation as soon as possible, but I definitely want to thank you for listening to the podcast, for sharing the podcast with people that you know or people that you think might be interested. And of course, those of you who are supporting the podcast, not only by sharing, but for those who are Patreon supporters and part of the Patreon community, thank you so much for helping make this possible. Each episode, you really do make a difference and your support means the world to me. And for sticking with through this pandemic, I appreciate you so much. I really do. And through our advertising sponsor, this episode is brought to you and sponsored by Green Home Solutions. If you are not familiar with them, they are your air quality experts, mold, disinfection, odor, allergen control, 
check out their webpage, check out their Facebook pages at Green Home Solutions. They have some amazing stories. You know, if you're in the midst of construction, I know there are people doing some pretty big jobs on their home right now because they have a little bit different time on their hands to work with. And sometimes things can pop up and you tear down something and you find some things you don't quite understand or you have some concerns. Give these guys a call, 1-800-SOLUTIONS. And if you're in Duluth, you can reach out to Steve at 218-429-5269. You know, honestly, I have not had a lot of experience with mold in my life with things that I've actually owned. I've, I've been, I've looked at a few houses that had mold issues and knew that that was a absolutely huge concern. I do remember when I was a kid and I don't remember what the situation was. What I remember was the thoughts that I had about it. I remember that my sister's latch hook rugs were too moldy to wash and they had to be thrown away. Latch hook rugs. Does anybody remember latch hook rugs? Like that was a thing. Where did that go? Anyway, I think that was one of the first experiences I had with mold on things and not just food. And so it was sort of this, oh my gosh, you know, what happens if you have to throw these things away? What happens if you got mold on other stuff that was way more important to you? So my little kid brain kind of freaked out about that a little bit. And I remember it smelled really bad. But anyway, clearly not the biggest tragedy in the world. I was pretty young. Didn't have a whole lot of latch hook rugs to sacrifice, so I guess I got lucky on that one. Anyway, give them a call, greenhomesolutions.com. Keep them in mind when you need some help and need some answers. Before we head on in, I just want to mention to you that if you look in the show notes, Naomi has provided some great and varying resources that you might find fun and interesting, everything from mental health to music therapy. So, Just letting you know that's there. All right, let's head on in. Naomi Bartley, welcome back to the Wellness Renaissance Podcast. I'm excited to have you here today. Thank you. I am too. It's great to be talking with you today. Yeah, we are. So you were with us on episode 120 talking about eco-anxiety. And uh, isn't it an interesting thing that we, since we've talked last time, we have a whole new level of anxiety going on. (laughs) Yes, yes, we do. Oh, my gosh. Quite a bit since our last conversation. Yeah, no kidding. So we're going to talk about COVID fatigue and a lot of pieces around that, which are really, I think, interesting um, because there's just so many pieces and points of view. I mean, I think, you know, with eco-anxiety, there's a multiple points of view, but with this there's just so many facets and layers and intersections. So yeah, let's, let's dive in. Let's talk about the term COVID fatigue and what kind of got you focusing here. Let's do it. Well, so we are living in COVID right now as we speak. It is a reality. And as we're seeing more and more efforts to prevent and protect the public from COVID, we're also recognizing that those behaviors uh, seem to be challenging for people and yet existentially absolutely necessary. And so literally, like eco-anxiety and the climate crisis, we are looking at another global crisis that is life-threatening on an enormous scale. 
and so there is some pressure, um, to put it mildly, uh, to get our behaviors in line to protect ourselves and to keep humanity on track so that we are able then to address some of these other crises that we're faced with today. COVID fatigue essentially is, you know, what it sounds like. It's a pandemic fatigue. We're tired of the restrictions and the guidelines um, that are being asked of us. And in many ways, fatigue clinically is a condition that can make it challenging to either adopt new behaviors or sustain behaviors that we might regard as unpleasant or oppressive or unwanted. So I think it's manifesting in our population as a kind of perfect storm of resistance, uh, resisting factions between personal liberties and the greater good. And how do we reconcile those so that we're as much on the same page about getting on top of the pandemic as we can. And the fatigue is just complicating those efforts. Right. So I, as you were saying that, one of the one of the questions I, I have for you is what do you say to the person who kind of says, geez, this is all overblown. We just, you know, media has taken it too far. We don't need to worry about things the way that we are worrying about things. Yeah, you start out with easy ones, don't you? <laughs> Softball. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, that's the point, isn't it? The whole point of this conversation. <laughs> well, I, you know, I would express both interest and concern. You know, I, I would be curious and want to hear more to, you know, try to understand a little bit more about where that person's coming from, which gives me hopefully some more information to interact with around why I might have a different view. Mm -hmm. We we actually did talk about this particular approach in our eco-anxiety conversation um, when we're motivating people towards change or trying to help them develop motivation towards behavior change. And we were talking, we think about climate denial or climate change denial at that time. And this is kind of similar, the, the denial of COVID and the severity of the crisis. How do we enter into conversations with skeptics or people who deny the issue? And, and so there are two things I have done in both my professional and personal life. One is to just research as much as I can about what, what, what's going on out there? What are people thinking and saying? And, and there's a lot on social media and I spend some time on social media kind of gathering perspectives and gathering information and data based in research and from reliable, what I deem reliable sources, which equips me then to gently and hopefully effectively provide information to the said person who doesn't believe it's an issue. Mm-hmm. Now, again, it kind of depends on what their response is. And earlier, before we started recording, you were talking about it manifests so differently for different people. Mm-hmm. The fatigue, and and I think that's kind of a key juncture. Is is you know what what 
is true for me in this pandemic is not true necessarily for somebody else. Right. Yeah. You know, when we got talking about COVID fatigue and talking about doing this podcast, I'm like, there's so many different versions of that, right? There's the the exhausted from being in your house and just not seeing people. There's the exhausted from having to wear the stupid mask thing into stores that you don't want to wear because this is ridiculous. And there is just, yes, you're tired of those things, but you're doing the best you can, you know, and all different spaces of mm-hmm. that, you know, it, it's a little extra work. I know, you know, it's a lot of extra work in certain ways in, in when you're trying to do things. And so there's different forms of being tired. And sometimes that you, you know, I know for me, it's like, yeah, this isn't really fun, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna deal, you know, and I think just, you know, the, the, the whole concept around, like you're saying, listening to other people's perspectives, and hearing where they're coming from, you know, I've kind of took the, the whole idea myself early on that, you know what, because I, I have I have people that are very smart going, science says masks work, science say masks are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I they're both they're both smart people, right? So it's I'm kinda like, well, you know what? I would rather err on the side of wearing the mask and if I can protect somebody, if I happen to have it, um, or if it protects things both ways. It seems like a, for me, it seems like a reasonable thing to do. And it is kind of that, like, that perspective that, again, everybody shares a little different, like you say, a little bit different reality right now with media. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody's getting a little different information and how we process that. One of the things that I was thinking, we had a, we have uh, a restaurant here in town that is one of my favorite restaurants. Uh, Somebody basically was angry because it's a restaurant, they were asked to please put your mask on on the way to your seat. And once you get to your table, you can take it off. And this person was super disrespectful to the server, kicked their sign. Um, And I thought, you know, it's an interesting thing because their perspective is how dare you take away my rights, Mm -hmm. right? How dare you make me put this cloth over my face? And I think, how dare you... (laughs) jeopardize these people's livelihoods how dare you take away my potentially take away my restaurant because that could be an ultimate thing right Mm -hmm. if that if my favorite restaurant closed down you your action could cause our uh, clearly a restaurant you like to go it could cause that to close down so it's kind of like how do you balance these perspectives and everything and i think all of that makes us also adds to the fatigue yeah yeah that tension and that Mm -hmm. trying to hold on to what we what we believe is the truth for us or what our values are and when they're threatened we do marshal our defenses and that does take energy that is stressful um you know we're we're kind of circling around that conversation we're having a little bit about ideology and the nation being divided and how the mask and maybe even some of these other preventive measures have become political, mm-hmm. even though empirically they are not. Empirically, they are just mechanisms for protecting society, protecting public health, and it has nothing to do with ideology or a political party. Right. Um, but again, when it becomes a symbol of one's identity, it becomes personal really fast, really quickly. And we're in this kind of cauldron of tensions around identity Mm -hmm. and 
rights and liberation and freedoms and who we are and whether we're heard or recognized, you know, and I think as one movement rises and gets attention, other movement feels alienated and wants attention. And there are individuals who are part of these movements. I mean, it's amazing at all that we're able to cooperate ever. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, But if cats can do it, we can do it. So, you know, it's, um, but, but I will say, you know, setting aside this, this great divide in our country, I mean, let's just say that's a given in the field as we're talking about this. There are also some other, other dynamics that can occur generally in terms of behavior change and, and why we might discontinue. So if we think about early on when the fear was really high about the pandemic, right? When things were really spiking in in March and April and May, and now they are again, but we already went through the initial crisis. Like everybody wear a mask, we're shutting down and boom, it happened. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like automatic, you know, reflex. You know, people didn't like it, but there was almost a reflex, I think, because of how quickly um, the guidelines came down and everybody was doing it and we didn't know what we were dealing with. Now that we have a little more perspective and some more information, and it's been a longer amount of time that we've adapted a little bit individually to this reality, to the reality that's in motion, um, we are kind of pausing and thinking about things a little bit more, whether we're conscious of it or not. You know, one of one of the things people I think unconsciously or consciously ask themselves, you know, is how bad is it really? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not, I don't feel sick, right? And my friends don't, and it looks fine to me. You know, why would somebody want me to not have my freedoms? You know, this this doesn't seem right. Um, and then, you know, if it's not really that bad, then, you know, the risk isn't very high for me. It's probably not high for others, if I'm even thinking that far ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's kind of this, this perceived susceptibility and the perceived severity, you know, that, okay, maybe it doesn't look bad. Am I susceptible? No, I'm young. I'm healthy. Um, I'm not. I, I'm not young. But <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I'm being this fictitious person who's saying these things, <laughs> um, and it doesn't look so bad to me. This is where I actually think social media can be so powerful, is that we have this opportunity to experience other people's realities in a way we've never been able to before, um, mm-hmm. where we are able to have access to journalism that is providing fairly trustworthy portraits of what's happening and and I think that we're seeing a lot of artistic and creative um, incisive representations that can be gripping if we let them be mm-hmm. about the realities um, which you know then that can alter our perceptions right and mm-hmm. we're like hey something is going on out there that's not touching me directly right now okay. um, and that is, is, you know, when we talk about social media, like you're saying, it can really be a benefit. And it can also just mess with your head. I mean, I can't tell you how many times during COVID I would, one thing would go through my feed that's talking about how horrible it is. And the next person's like, oh my gosh, there's nothing. There's nothing going on. Or you, what, what is, you know, and how much our little neighborhood in a sense, on on our social media, but even physical neighborhoods. I mean, I, I know I heard a conversation 
about the whole New York thing of one person was sort of like, I don't see any evidence of this. And the person was going, but, but did you go a half a mile down that way <laughs> and realize how many people there are dealing with this, you know? And, and it, so it really kind of messes with our confirmation bias in, in mm-hmm. what we're seeing um, on social media, but it also just, I, I think I just felt so confused for a while. Like I would see the tragedy and I would see people going, oh, this is insane. There's nothing, this is not as bad. And and I'm kind of like, is there a place in the middle where it's probably not as bad as we sort of think it is, but we can also really take some precautions to make it less bad <laughs> for everybody? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, the social media, and I need to I need to watch the social dilemma that you were referencing. Yes, conversation, but um, <laughs> social media social media is kind of this cosmic. Um, I don't want to say joke because it's not funny. It's this cosmic, mm-hmm. this cosmic challenge to us because there there's this. Um, if you're a spiritual person and I happen to be a spiritual person with deeply held um, faith practices, you know, sometimes I'm going through social media and I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Is this the Holy spirit or is this an algorithm? Mm. You know, is someone messing with me or am I losing it? (laughs) (laughs) You know, so how do we, how do we get a reality check when we've got this behemoth, multi-tentacled um communication device that reaches everybody right not everybody has broadband so not everybody has access right but yeah we do but so so then we've got this beast of a vehicle that we actually has outstripped our moral capacity to manage frankly and so it does cause us really to turn back I'm going to say back into ourselves in many ways. It's like, what is my reality? You know, what, how much am I relying on something outside of me to determine my reality? Mm -hmm. You know, that brings us back to this old basic peer pressure thing. You know, it's like everybody's doing it, right? Everybody's going down to the bar or going out to the restaurant or other people are having big Thanksgiving parties or weddings. And then two weeks later we discover, you know, 30 people have COVID. Right. So it's that short-term kind of impulse that we want to satisfy those sh- the short-term desires um, and lose track of our future self. Right. Well, and like you say, there is that pressure or that, or that situation where you see, well, look, all those people got together and nobody got sick, you know? Yeah, um, those, yep, those confounding, like, how did that happen with the protests? To me, that's a right I think that's a little more of a divine thing I maybe discover I'm totally wrong about (laughs) I'm gonna go with it I'm I I choose to believe there was in there it is it is it is kind of wild and it and I understand people going that doesn't make sense right but then what were there stories that we didn't hear you know Mm -hmm. um too and yeah but but it is it it throws you into the oh my gosh what is reality Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah, so this is really messing with our minds, our collective mind and our individual minds. Right. Um, so our foundations are just being shaken. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been shaken and, and, and we are not on steady ground yet. And so we're going to feel jiggly. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> um, and 
you know, I wish I had some kind of magic wand, um, but I do, I do think, I do think we need to listen. This sounds a little trite and I'm, I wish I could say it in a more eloquent way, but I do think we need to listen to our leaders. And I say that because I think with the, the history of our quasi um, rugged individualism, you know, that, that has historically kind of been, the, at least for some, the badge of the United States. It doesn't work. <laughs> and um, it, it's really self-defeating um, because by nature, as, as we were talking about, we're relational, we're social. And that's another reason, that's another confounding variable with these preventive behaviors is we yearn to connect. We just do. And that is how we are made. And that's not going to change anytime soon. Um, And so we're, we're in this place of discomfort because we're not able to fully satisfy those very human needs for connection. Right. Yeah. Our, our lowest level on the Maslow's hierarchy is being, (laughs) It's being messed with pretty intensely. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that's, you know, that, that pro- it probably affects all of us more than we think we do. I mean, I think that it it does, but I think some people can feel that effect instantaneously, you know. Um, and it's, it, it, so it feels like, okay, what's the, what's the end goal here, right, mm-hmm. with restrictions? And it's interesting that you say, you know, listen to our leaders, because I think in some ways – the confusion about that the last six months has also been mixed messages too, Mm -hmm. which has us going, well, how do we do this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so for a long time, I think we have taken um, government and our democracy for granted in general, you know, where, where as a country we've, to a certain degree, the mindset has been, you know, we're safe, we're the most powerful nation in the world. We don't, we can all be kind of passive about our politics and our governing, except for those who, you know, go into governing Mm -hmm. um, and kind of defer that process to others. Now, I don't know if this is true for you, but, you know, if we look at the election this year and the voter turnout, so it's remarkable mm-hmm. that, that it has taken this kind of revolution to unearth both an awareness, but also a desire to enact our individual roles in the democracy. You know, that, that we, and, and I'm, the point I'm getting to is that we all have a responsibility in its work and, People should be informed. Mm-hmm. So, so when I say listen to our leaders, I mean who the people who lead for me are not necessarily the same people who lead for you, you know. But there are leaders out there who have wisdom and skill and knowledge, ability who can artfully help us make our way through this. People who have actually been through things we haven't, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, who can guide us? And and with that rugged individualism kind of in our multi-generational DNA, there is a seems to be kind of this resistance to being led and guided. And 
and I don't mean in deferment, I mean, in terms of kind of that call and response where, okay, you're, you're calling me to vote, you're calling me to be aware of my role, and it matters. My response is to vote. And when I respond, and I vote, you see that this matters to me, and then you respond. And relationships are the same way. Mm. You know, it's, it's a call and response. It's this intimate back and forth. And so when I say follow the leader, <laughs> when I was a little girl jumping off the diving board, you know, follow the leader, do a jackknife, do a dive, do a cannonball, and it's, you know, a little frivolity. Uh, and probably tells you where I want to be right now. <laughs> oh, I don't think you're alone in that. <laughs> uh, but, but there's freedom in that, you know, and, and we see that in terms of faith practices. You know, if, if one has a faith practice, you are deferring your authority to a higher authority. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't abdicate your responsibility or any or all of your authority. It just means you recognize that you both have a responsibility, but you're not completely responsible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I, I, the, that's kind of a long description of the point that I'm making is I think everybody has a responsibility to be informed. Right. And I think, again, I think the challenges that so many of us have with that is how to be informed. How do we find that information? And I'm not saying that we need to go down that rabbit hole, but I do think that it is sometimes what stumbles us, right? Like we're all we're all kind of busy trying to keep our life afloat mm-hmm. and how do we spend the time and, and chase down the things that we're trying to figure out how to inform ourselves. And I think obviously that's where Facebook has gotten to be like Facebook, just as a, as a simple example has gotten to be this thing that allows you to scroll and, and, and it's good in some ways because you do, you can get many points of view by scrolling. You can also get a lot of confirmation bias or one, you know, one perspective and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a shorthand and it also so it makes us see things like headlines and whatever, and we kind of run with that. We might run with that in our head, but it also allows us to have people that we really can trust as well, a little more at our fingertips, um, <laughs> you know, who kind of do their homework sometimes because it's their job, right? Or that we can kind of go to and go, okay, what is their what is their temperature on this? And if I don't agree, I can probably dig into a little bit of their stuff to see what in the world they're thinking. So I understand it better. And I think having those people is really helpful. You know, it's like, I don't want to turn off everybody who perceives things differently than I do, because I really want to understand them. Right. I want to understand their perspective because I still see that there's their solid value in that. Uh, And I want to know how the world is thinking, but it is also yeah, finding those people that we can kind of look at. And I don't know what other ideas you might have to toss out there too, but I think that is where people get hung up is that it's, you can't just, you don't feel like you can just watch the news or whatever and have an answer. It's, it's so challenging to get down to the nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. It is, it's work. And this is where we have the great come apart. (laughs) And what I mean by that is in many ways our social structure our society is built on sand when we try to get answers to some of these more 
perplexing and confounding questions, it's turtles all the way down. It's like, okay, and then, and then, and then, and then. (laughs) And the final and then to me is alluding back to this idea of the working alliance with which essentially is the quality of the relationship. And rather than building on relationship in, it would appear to many in our democracy, we have built on this idea of an economy and profit capitalism as the driving forces. And many some of those foundational cornerstones that make a community strong. So if I were to define this idea of working alliance, it actually comes from this concept, learning alliance, which was developed by uh, Borden. I don't remember his first name um, in the field of education. And essentially the working alliance is like, how how are we getting along and how are we using and facilitating our relationship toward a common goal? So for example, um, we have a common goal with the pandemic prevention. What would you say it was? I, I'm, I, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but just kind of as a general consumer of news and being a person in the pandemic, what would you say our collective goal is? <laughs> That's a good question because part of me agrees with you that it is to prevent, prevent, you know, prevent this, bring it back down, get us back to normal, mm-hmm. um, which maybe everybody can kind of agree with, that everybody really wants to get back to normal. It's just the path that's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what this model would say, or this concept would say that, so let's say we do have a loosely defined goal that we all can kind of agree on. Um the task then is another subconstruct in this idea of the working alliance. So we've got task and goal. So we need to be on the same page if we're going to accomplish the task that has to be done to reach our goal. And that task would be right now taking all the preventive measures that we can to subdue the virus, hold it at bay until we get a more sustainable intervention. Hopefully that will be the vaccine that's coming next year. Um, and that's still going to be a while. Um, and so as we approach that task of sustaining our preventive measures, within that task, we're requiring people individually to assume a lot of responsibility for their own hinkiness. <laughs> that's a <laughs> clinical term. <laughs> like, oh, what is wrong with me? All right, got it. Now I've got it. Got to get that under control because I really need to be wearing a mask when I'm out, <laughs> you know, I, because I want to get to this goal and, and I know that we can do it together because, and here's the kicker. This is, this is the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The main point. <laughs> I know there's much more exciting to, to say there, but that's all I've got. Um, the bond. The bond in the working alliance. The bond basically is like what we talk about in attachment. You know, how are we connected? How do we relate to one another? Are are we connected? And if you have a dysfunctional bond or no bond, then no task. And if we have no task, we're going to sabotage our goal. And so when we look at 
what comprises the bond, it comprises of con our relationship with conflict, our relationship with power, and our relationship with trust. And so if we're able to look at those three dynamics within ourselves, what's my relationship with conflict? How do I deal with it? You know, what's my, what's, what's my deal with conflict? Am I okay with it? Am I terrified of it? Do I avoid it? Do I run headlong into it and try to add fuel to the fire? And that has a lot to do with how we relate to power. And, and as soon as we touch on power, boy, we're off to the races because then we're talking about social injustice, uh, environmental injustices. Um, we're talking about disenfranchised populations and how all of those um, variables factor in to trust. So it, it gets really complicated. You know, you think, well, working alliance, task, goal, and bond, that's pretty simple. We get along, we've got the same goal, we just got to get on the same page about how to get there. Um, but without that foundation of trust, which can come with functional and effective community building, um, it, it's going to be very, very tricky to get us all employing the same tasks toward that goal. I hear what you're saying, and it makes a lot of sense, but I think, yeah, we're seeing that play out right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so that's the come apart, right? It's mm -hmm. like, whoa, when we get right down to it, we are, well, I have affectionately said for some time now that America is has an attachment disorder. <laughs> <laughs> And, and we're all part of that. So right. we, we need to heal. And, and, and so here we have a president-elect, Biden, who is saying we have to heal. And so we come back around to me encouraging us to listen to our leaders and, you know, to identify who those leaders are and to use critical analysis to determine the credibility of our leaders. Um, and how to do that is to be in a trusting community, mm. you know, to, to, to not be isolated in your own thoughts, because we do have our, our own biases and we have our own neuroses and we have our own barriers in our own defenses. And we need one another to hold each other accountable, to support one another. And, and the trust has to be there for those things to manifest. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that is a huge, like, dichotomy that we live with, you know, is the I want to be my own island mm -hmm. and and needing this. I mean, I think this shows us that, that we need this sort of, like you say, it, we need this trust in this community that we kind of fight against a lot. Yeah, well, we do. And so, so one of my favorite quotes is Virginia Satir. She was a family theorist and therapist. And you maybe have seen this quote before, that life isn't how it's supposed to be, it's how it is. <laughs> you know, kind of that reality check that, yeah, I, I want to be an island, but I'm not. <laughs> okay. Um, and so we have this tension, we have this dialectic where we have competing needs. And um, that is part of life, baby, you know? And, and so there's, there's also this kind of infantile resistance to reality 
you know, it, it's, um, I want life to be different. So I'm going to demand that life is different. And my demands are going to come in the form of my non-compliance or my risky behavior or my resistance. Um, because I just don't like it. <laughs> and that, you know, and that's, that's, that's a very, um, ineffective way to try to employ one's power, but it is an effort to use one's power, mm -hmm. you know? And so then we get back to our relationship with power. What is it? What, you know, what, what is my power? Um, most of us have to learn to become comfortable with our personal power. You know, we're so used to power being defined as positional, you know, outside of us, like mm -hmm. a role or a role or some authority imbued on us rather than I have power within me and I'm responsible for that. And how do I steward that? And how do I, how do I deploy that? Well, yeah. Right. Tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess that's the, that's what's in my toolbox. And when you're three or four, it can work if your parents exhaust It's like, okay, just have the ice cream. Right. Just be quiet. <laughs> have the ice cream. Not that that happened here. <laughs> My house. But, but it, you know, it's, it's um, this entitlement, too, that I think is problematic. I've done this whole schemata for the research I'm doing on, you know, kind of this mental health, mental schemata around how we as a society and individuals are interfacing with this pandemic amidst other global crises. And I really believe it's this nightmarish squall of um, psychological defenses and regression and uh, identity disturbance and disenfranchisement. You know, I mean, it, it's nuts. <laughs> it's, we really need to kind of buckle down on basics and one of the coping strategies that I've been reading about and, and I've employed in, in my life and have recommended to others that you really create structure in your own life, right? I mean, we, we talk about that in general when we talk about grief or stress or trauma and transitions that maintaining structure is important. It really is important mm -hmm. um, because that's your reality, right? That's what's real. That's what's hard and fast in your life is when you have a structure. Um, and so I, I would recommend that be part of people's coping is, you know, building a structure that you is tenable for you each day and hopefully employ self self care, you know, get up at a certain time, um, do a certain maybe meditative or reflective or exercise something that's employing your um, feel good hormones um, and getting you started for the day and then have blocks of time where you're engaged in activities throughout the day that can help people feel more grounded. I think there's some dissociation going on um, and definitely splitting off, uh, you know, from our sense of self and sense of reality. And so I think some of those really intentional, what, what often can be considered more clinical interventions, I, I actually think could just be really smart, smart, pragmatic lifestyle changes. 
Mm, like, tell me more, like, give me some examples of what you mean by that. Well, so let, let's think about our behavior changes um, relative to what we know about any behavior change, like addiction, uh, an addictive behavior. Um, you know, we want to change our behavior and we can maybe do it for a little while and then we relapse, you know, whether it's smoking or drinking or, or even a positive behavior, like you want to exercise a certain amount of time every day and you do it for a couple of weeks and then you're tired of it and you relapse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so how do you get to kind of get to a place where you can stay on track rather than relapse when things get boring or you're tired or you don't like it anymore? Um, so you, you can build a kind of structure around that where um, you work on your frame of mind, you know, your own willpower, you intentionally work on your own willpower um, by changing your frame of reference. So rather than seeing this as something that's an obligation, or I have to do this, oh, I have to get up and go running, or oh, I have to wear this mask. Um that you shift your frame of mind so that you're thinking about it more as an opportunity, like, oh, I get to wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and I'm laughing because, of course, that's kind of silly. I mean, I guess it depends on what kind of mask. But um, from a spiritual vantage point and from a psychological well-being vantage point, wearing a mask is a generative act, right? It's a... It's a um, pro-social behavior mm-hmm. it's a good thing to do um, and if you can frame it that way and think about it as oh this is my opportunity to be generative and that's good for me um, that's very different than oh my god I've got to wear this mask and I don't even know why and that stupid head whatever said I had to and I don't even like him <laughs> <laughs> It's like, no, it's my decision. I'm going to wear a mask because I feel generative. I feel like I'm contributing to this, the solutions. And um, plus, I don't want to get sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so that's just start, you know, is, is structurally reframing how you're thinking about things. Um, we talked about identifying with your future self a little bit earlier, you know, where it's like, well, how do I want to feel in three weeks or post Christmas, you know, do I want to be sick with COVID or know that I possibly contributed to spreading this because I couldn't wait to have a beer with my friend at the bar? Um, Or am I going to get to the other side of Christmas or into the new year and be like, we did it. And I feel really good about that. And that was hard. And I did it. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, some of these might seem basic and obvious to people who often employ, you know, reframing techniques. Um, But I think it's easy to kind of take for granted that our resistance um, has more, it's easy to take for granted that we have more power over our resistance than we do. I mean, I think that we think we're smarter than we are. (laughs) (laughs) See how smart I am? (laughs) Okay, you get my point, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And I, well, no, I, I hear I hear what you're saying, and I think it's it is an interesting thing because I think that kind of framing that we put on that, you know, the, especially when this like just the mask thing because it's so pervasive, right? Anywhere you go, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm guilty of having to turn around, walk back in the house and grab this thing that was just sitting right there. Right. And I don't necessarily mind it. I'm struggling with it more now that winter's coming and I wear glasses and the fogging thing. Like I have to figure that out because it's quite frankly dangerous walking outside when you cannot see. Um, So I need to figure that out, but I don't, but I also don't want to just be frustrated every single time I have to go outside and, and it makes you angry. Right. And, and so I could take that perspective, but I don't want to, I just want to solve it because, you know, um, because I don't want to feel that way. And there are enough things in my life that I, that I kind of have to deal with that are annoying and you try to take a good attitude, but it, it, the, the negative one kind of creeps back in. Yeah. And like I said, a long time ago, I just had the mindset of, you know what, I just feel like if I do this, it it isn't going to hurt me. So why not help somebody else if it might help them? You know, if it, if it doesn't do anything, if it really doesn't do anything, I didn't do anything negative. If it really does something and I give somebody COVID, oh my gosh, yeah. that's something I don't want on my body. In, in yeah. Mindset. yeah. So to me, it was just kind of like, it's simpler to look at it that way. And I know that I'm, I know that there's a lot of people who feel very, very differently about that. Um, and I probably, you know, because I want to function in society, I maybe took that and they might say, well, you're just naive and taken, you know, in a sense, the easy way out. Um, but I think it's, yeah, it, it's how do I frame this so I can, and I'm always open to learning. Like, I mean, I've also been, you know, that perspective too. I'm still interested in hearing people's perspective, but I'm still sticking with my, I'm going to do it because. I, I don't, and I would never, you know, again, I don't want to hurt somebody else. I don't want, I don't have any desire to push into a business and say, well, you're being a jerk because you're making me wear this mask. That's just not my MO. And maybe mm-hmm. I'm just a sheep. I don't know. Um, <laughs> hearing you talking about that and how do we, how do we do that? And I think so many things are coming at us in so many different ways. And there's so many things to think about that if we are resisting this, it's challenging. You know, it, it is challenging some of the work I do, um, we just started doing in-person groups recently and the, the amount of extra attention given, but it is also, you know, I'm committed to being there, to doing the best job, to creating a space where everybody is safe and to, and so everybody feels good. And whether the science is right or wrong, I'm doing the best that I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I want to be there, you know, kind of showing up with bells on because I'm not trying to make everybody else's lives miserable either. So yeah, just, I, just interesting thinking about how, how do we do that when we really have a different perspective than that, you know? Yeah, it's, um, for whatever reason, I, I want to kind of go back to this idea, uh, it's kind of like Pascal's wager. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but basically it's an argument for believing in God. And I'm not saying everybody listening to the podcast should believe in God, but Pascal's wager is basically, well, why not just believe in God? I mean, what have you got to lose? Cause there's a lot more to lose if you don't. And there is a God, <laughs> you know? So it's, um, it's a little cynical, but, but it's kind of like, you know, like you were saying, why not just do it and let's not waste all of our energy fighting over this because there are more important things that we want to put our energy into. Um, right. Yeah. So, okay. So um, looking back at this idea of how structure is important, I, I'm defining that in 
kind of a specific way that the structure, our brain structure, or how we're structuring our thoughts, rather. Um, and related is we actually can change our brain structure. Um, and that's, an, I think, an important um, point to consider when we're thinking about change. A lot of people think, well, I can't change. I'm just like this, you know. Why should I try to do something that's not me? You know, and, and to some degree that, that makes sense. And yet we know that there are some things that are mutable that we never would have thought were mutable, like DNA, for example. Mm. We thought, but DNA can change um, as we interface and interact with our environment. And our brains can change. That's called neuroplasticity. And um, so we grow neurotransmitters and um, synapses. Um, and that can happen if we take intentional steps to develop environmental conditions that allow for that. And one of those environmental conditions is the healthy relating mm -hmm. um, and being with um, people who are allies, not accomplices in behavior that sabotages our goal. Um, and so being selective and structured about who is in your sphere, you know, and we're talking a lot about our own personal bubbles. Some people are socializing in bubbles, you know, and what they mean by that is we know these people and they've all been quarantined and everybody should be fine. And yet the reality is everybody's bubble is bigger than they think their bubble is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> this is so true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's, it's a little, that structure I think is a little risky. Um, we don't know who's an unwitting accomplice. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so to be really intentional about how we're structuring our social lives and to have it, have in our minds the, the justification, you know, to really understand why we're doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, I would also say, um, I want to get back to the, I kind of want to jump back point about um, listening to our leaders. Uh, another way to talk to our mentors or listening to people we respect. Like if you're feeling challenged by what the pandemic is requiring of us, you know, think about someone you respect and, how they would see this challenge, you know, how are they responding or how would they say, see you responding to this challenge? What kind of advice might they give you? And, and again, that has to do with the willpower piece. You know, how are we intentionally strengthening our willpower towards these pro-social behaviors? I did mention knowledge and skills, you know, that actually this is a really Good opportunity for some, not everybody. We, there are a lot of disenfranchised people out there who don't have the luxury of being able to sit at the computer and research and listen to podcasts and um, do uh, skill building and personal self-awareness exercises. But if you can develop your skills and spend some time developing your knowledge around managing stress what's going on in the world and how you want to interface in the world um, and taking ownership for that, that kind of structure um, can really build both your capacity, but also your ego strength. Um, mm. Yeah. And then one thing that I think sometimes we underestimate is something we can talk about in terms of our ability, our we talk about readiness, willingness, and ability when 
looking at behavior change and motivation and what facilitates motivation and what can get in the way. If someone's ready and willing and able, then they're motivated to engage in a behavior or stop a behavior. If they're willing and able but not ready, they're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So there's work to be done to prepare to engage in that behavior. If they're ready, like the time's right. I mean, we're in a pandemic and I guess I'm ready. I just don't want to. And then the kicker for me, though, really is ability, right? And, and I think about that in terms of um, disenfranchised uh, groups and <laughs> individuals. It's, you know... They may not be able because of a mental incapacity or just an inability to manage stress or lack of resources or not getting the knowledge and and social community support. And there are all kinds of hidden reasons out there um, that make the ability to engage in a a behavior change uh, difficult, if not impossible. So your structural ability has a lot to do with um, your environment. So if you want to wear a mask every day, make it easy to wear a mask every day and put it next to your keys or put it, you know, out in the open on the kitchen table or whatever. Um, If you want to socialize every day, then structurally put that into your calendar where you're doing a phone call or a Skype session or a Zoom session that day. Um, And that's part of your day. For example, you know, or part of your week, make a point, get some buddies. Once a week, we're going to check in and have a conversation or have coffee via Zoom. I get that there's screen fatigue. And yet I'm like, when I was a kid, I thought this would be magic if we could talk to people on screen at the same time. Right. I know. It's like, it was on the Jetsons. I know. It was like this impossible thing. And it was like, oh my gosh, like how amazing. And then how devastating when somebody calls and you're like, hop out of the show, you know, we didn't, the Jetsons didn't build in choice. I don't think like it was just, if you answer the phone, the screen is on like now we can mute our, you know, we can make our cameras now. So it's like, it's kind of cool that we have choices. Yeah. Well, right. In retrospect, they weren't that advanced, but, but you know, the, the seven-year-old kid in me, all of my son, I'm like with him on this. It's like, why? You don't have a right to complain that you have to Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> <sighs> uh, so, I mean, I, I know better than people have their reasons for the screen fatigue. But, you know, it's like those competing needs again. You've got to, if you, you're not going to be able to meet all your needs at once, right? Right. Um, so you you pick the need that takes precedence and that should be surviving (laughs) you know what do you need to survive and get get through this right which is again you know we have a definite definite divide on what that what that looks like right um but i i'm listening to you and here's what i'm thinking as i'm I'm hearing you say all of these things about, you know, how to do this and structure. And I also know that most of us fight against structure. I'm one of those people. I know that structure is good and I, and I fight it if it's there. And especially if somebody else has control over it, I'm better at it than putting it my own in place. But I'm also thinking of how many people who are motivated people who are really 
struggling with motivation differently than before. And I count myself in with this. Like I'm, I'm dealing with some other pieces that have kind of come in during COVID as well. So there's just a lot of things going on for me, but some of it is, and I'm hearing other people say this. Um, and so I feel a little less alone. I'm still curious. and want to know how do I solve for, for X in this situation, but people who are saying, I am struggling doing the basics. I am struggling, mm-hmm. you know, I'm struggling getting, uh, multiple people saying I'm struggling getting my podcast out and my video out mm-hmm. that I've done for a long time. And it's, I'm wondering that, Like I can point to some of my own life stuff that it's, it becomes priorities, right? Self-care and and other things that you just kind of have to give attention to. But it's interesting that I'm hearing a theme in that because in my mind, I'm like, we've got more in certain ways, more flexibility and maybe more time. Um, But, and it's this, these things that we want to do, but people are feeling this drain and how much of it is, you know, I know, you know, some people have certainly taken time off of social media and that for some people has been helpful and sometimes not so much. I mean, I think there's a lot of things at play here and I think, you know, and I'm interested in your perspective on this. In my mind, there's a lot of things at play that are new that we're trying to balance or or integrate or deflect in some cases, we're trying to manage. And I don't even think we always know what that is. I don't think we always know how much of the weight of some of these things going on take for some of us, we take them in. Other people, not so much. They're like super happy they've got all this extra time. Life has really not changed for them. Um, or it has. And some some people have been like, you know, my, I have so much more time with my family right now. This is so awesome. I'm loving this, mm-hmm. right? But there is a, a, I like I'm trying to understand that, and I and I think it is kind of again it's it's COVID fatigue. But in trying to sort that out and untangle everything to go, what can I do? And so I think sometimes when I feel a little lost in this, I am then trying to put some other pieces in place of saying, how do I self care in a new way? Um, if the old way isn't working, what else can I do? Can I try? Um, and maybe give myself a little bit of a break and not be so hard, but also be open to what can I learn about myself and how I process the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your, your perspective and it resonates. I actually, um, have you taken the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram or any of those? Myers-Briggs a long time ago. Yes. Well, basically it's about temperament or type. Yeah. Of- and what our preferences are in terms of where we get our energy, how we use our energy, how we understand the information we're getting from the world. And, um, and people have different temperaments. So, you know, this prescription I just offered isn't going to fit for everybody. Now, we know that with some temperaments that when you have a lot of time you know, one might think, oh, well, you've got a lot of time, you should be able to be productive and get a lot done. And you know, what's the matter with you? Well, no, actually, when there's less structure, you can feel much more amorphous, and it's harder to kind of garner that energy and that focus. And so people can actually be a lot less productive with, you know, kind of this unending sprawl of time, which is one of the reasons the recommendation for structure can be useful. Now, I'm not saying you necessarily need to structure every hour of your day with some kind of one of the great courses or something, <laughs> uh, which might be fun. But, 
I mean, it sounds like Judy, for you, it would be, you know, my structure is the basics. If I do these three things every day, I have succeeded in my structure, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, one of the things that I've been doing is I've employed an immune boosting diet. And part of that diet is drinking eight, 12 ounce glasses of water every day. Mm-hmm. I've never done that before. Mm like where I'm literally drinking water all day. I have been doing that every day. And I'm like, if I drink this pitcher of water every day, I'm good. I'm doing really good. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, Judy? I've been doing really good. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, and it actually, I feel gr- great relative to some other things that were issues, like my skin is nicer and mm. blah, blah, blah. And I have more energy and I just feel better. Um, so doing one pro self behavior and doing it successfully, it can be as simple as drinking enough water every day and then being like, I'm good. I got that done. And that was, you know, a different thing for me and a change. And I did it. Mm -hmm. Um, or it could be, I have bookends, you know, I start my day in this certain way every day and I, in my day at a certain way every day. So I've got bookends on my day. The point is to help you cope. It's not to make it harder, Mm -hmm. you know? So again, it's creating a structure that makes sense. Now I'm not going to say you shouldn't have any, Um, you know, that, that just, we become blobs. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and we also, there are real forces inside and outside that can um, penetrate us um, penetrate our psychic energy if we aren't awake, you know, mm-hmm. and we we can um, fall into deeper depression or we can aggravate anxiety. Um, we can lose ourselves and dissociate. You know, it's a, such a replete time for being ungrounded. You know, so so we're really going to have to do some things that maybe are go against our nature to stay grounded. Right. Well, back to that whole, you know, the social media thing, right? Like that it is a, it is a hard thing for us to understand because it, it feeds some of us. We feel successful scrolling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it, it's, it's also reminding ourselves that that is designed to keep us scrolling, right? It is designed. Mm-hmm. It's painful to know that that's a thing, but it is designed mm-hmm. to feed our brain and not our brains, our particular brain. I mean, mm-hmm. I think in mm-hmm. the social dilemma, one of the things that they they talk about, they have this great like concept, which is so funny to me of like the, like in the social dilemma, they, they act this out in like, there's somebody watching your particular feed and taking on your particular rhythms and then going, Oh man, like there's a human back there going, why hasn't so-and-so responded to this, you know, on the feed, like as if they're looking through to you through your computer, why are they not doing this? Well, we got to give them something else to make them do something. We got to feed them some more things to do. And it's freaky because it's, it's a little more real than it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's sometimes helpful to think about that to help us pull back from it, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to give it to the man, put some barriers around your social yeah. media. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, have have boundaries, know yourself, know, engage in behaviors intentionally, not kind of half, you know, half-mindedly or, you know, just automatically. 
Right. Right. Um, and, and that, so we have to really be alert to ourselves, you know, and, and that brings us back to this defense adaptation dissociation function where we split off from ourselves and then we aren't in charge of ourselves anymore, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and so, you know, when we talk about the great come apart, it's like we do need to stitch ourselves back together and heal. That's a real thing. And so there isn't, we're not going to keep digging into this and digging into this and finally come to, oh, there it is. We actually have to rebuild it. Mm-hmm. We're not going to like find the answer. We have to create the answer. Right. <laughs> and that that's a topic for a whole nother show minus like, like you say that kind of figuring yourself out and figuring out your community in some level to put little pieces of those pieces back together. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's work to be done. Right. Yes. So let's talk about, we're going into the holidays. Yeah. Let's talk about that in relation to this, because I know this is a, there's a lot of stressful conversations about this right now. There's, you know, I just saw a thing on, uh, come across the media the other day that if you need to quarantine for, for Thanksgiving, you need to start right now, mm-hmm. you know, and how, let's talk about that a little bit in how do we manage this in these situations? Obviously, if you have your pod of people and checking in with them and, you know, every, I mean, being on the same page makes it a little bit easier, but you're still taking a chance. You're still taking a risk. Maybe talking about that a little bit, but also the people who are really challenged with people coming from their very different perspectives and, and there's fear and concern um, about how far do we take this? How far do we say, no, we're not having Thanksgiving or we're having Thanksgiving over Zoom or whatever. How do we wrap our heads around that? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Simple answer. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's more nuanced than that. And I know that it's, it's right. just, there's a killer out there. I mean, what are we thinking? Uh, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, and some, I, I, this is where my frustration kicks in. It's just like, come on, would you walk out into a blizzard or walk in, to traffic would you walk out into the middle of a forest fire and you know we just don't see this one Mm -hmm. right right would you walk into the dark forest and you don't know what's out there you know some people would the thrill seekers Mm -hmm. might um but probably not ill-equipped they might have their guns or their flashlights or whatever (laughs) makes them safe but but i mean there to me I know it's been hard to not be with people, but there's some common sense here that we don't know enough about this. We just don't know. What we do know is it's a killer. We know that. Um, And we know that we, without knowing we're spreading it, and we know we can carry it without knowing we're carrying it. So when you do the risk-benefit analysis, I guess I'd rather enjoy my family and loved ones over, over zoom now and actually be able to see them in person later than to not be able to see them in person ever again. You know, so that, that's me. That's my personal and somewhat professional opinion, mm-hmm. but how do you deal with situations that are more gray? Mm-hmm. Where somebody's like, yeah, I think we can do this. We've had this bubble. We're feeling pretty good about it. Or I haven't seen my 
um, friend Nikita for two years and now she's coming back to the States and we want to have her for the holidays and that means so much to all of us. And, you know, so we want to make it happen. Um, There are, again, those competing needs and those passions and those desires for human connection um, that are very real and very powerful. Um, And, you know, I guess the best I can say around if you're if you've decided if you're resolved and you're just going to do it, then take every possible precaution. And if you've got people who don't like that. I just question the wisdom of gathering, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, I I just I really do. I I think in a matter of life or death, I'm not going to sit and argue with someone. You know, that's where our, that's where our black and white concrete, yes or no, all or nothing thinking actually is quite valuable. It's like, no, it's not worth the risk. I'm not an epidemiologist. I don't know enough to know it's not a risk. So I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we live in a country where people have choices. And yet, you know, again, those competing needs and those tensions that are part of our democracy, your rights can infringe on my rights. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, like uh, somebody I, I, I know, one person in the family didn't disclose that they had been around people with COVID. Mm-hmm. Everybody assumed that they hadn't. And then pretty soon the entire family had caused COVID. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, how, if you're going to do whatever you're going to do, be honest about what you're doing. I guess, yeah. you know, if, if the, the thing is when people just, well, I'm not going to bother to tell my family that I actually was doing all of these things last week out and about and not wearing a mask or whatever. And, and I feel fine. Um, but then when somebody ends up getting sick and, and I know, again, some of the argue, like you said, this is a killer. And I know some people would argue but it's just not that much of a killer compared to a lot of other things. And I, and I personally, I, I hear that argument and I, I understand that, but I also understand that I know of people who have died who, uh, not myself, but through other people who that's kind of like, it was a shock. This was a really healthy person. Right. So, and we, we think we know all of our underlying things going on in our bodies and we don't. Um, and so I understand, again, it's that know the risks you're taking and know the risks you're putting in other people's way and give them the choice about that risk. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. You know, so what, what you're describing is kind of contending with uh, these variables that contribute to people not complying, like magical thinking, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the holidays, nothing bad's going to happen, you know it's fine. We're, you know, it's Christmas. It's magical time. Right. (laughs) Or, 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 you know, unfortunately we do have people who just don't care, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and if you know people in your circle who are like, I just don't care, I would stay as far away from them as I possibly could Um, because there's no reason to trust that they're going to disclose anything because if they don't care, and I'm not saying they're malicious necessarily or pathological, but if they are just like out to lunch, it's, uh, it's, you're, you've got to take care of yourself, you know? Right. Um, right. I, we- I would also add that your point about, you know, not everybody's had experience with illness or with death, so they, they don't get it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, if you haven't lost someone close to you, if you haven't been really ill or someone close to you or even someone you know and care about, 
has been um, very, very ill, it is hard to really apprehend the, the gravity of the threat um, when subjectively you haven't experienced the consequences. Right. No. Right. So I interrupted you. you were no, I, I, um, no, you're, you're, you're good. I, but I, what you're saying, I think is so, it's so true. Like we all want to think the best. Um, but I also think sometimes we don't have the, always the empathy to understand what that means for somebody else. You know, it's like what they might be going through. It's, it's very real for them. If you're dealing with COVID, whether it's, whether it's an intensive sickness or you're in intensive care, you're the one who has to experience that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I can imagine that I have a very good imagination and I can imagine that a little too well. And that does not please me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know, will it happen? I don't know. Right. Um, But if it does, boy, would it suck? I don't, on one hand, I don't want to like not live my life on some level I, I want to still have fullness to my life. And so maybe there are some particular risks I will take, mm-hmm. but know that I'm taking a risk um, or, or saying for the people who say, I'm just not doing it. I'm not taking the risk. I totally get that too. And I think that that's fair because you just don't know quite what the consequences. I was just watching a video of somebody the other day who's like, we were young and healthy. We were, we, you know, 30, her and her husband were 30, 35 years old. And, and she's like, I didn't, we just didn't think we were going to get sick and we haven't been incredibly risky and, but boy, you know, it it sucks to be sick. And then now we're hearing about the stuff that happens afterwards. And I don't think we're hearing enough about that just to understand it's, you know, the whole, well, you get a cold, the cold goes away. Mm -hmm. Um, This is not necessarily that type of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, that there are things that that continue on. Sometimes that's depression. Sometimes that's a cough. But it's sometimes bigger things than that. And what are you contributing to either yourself or someone else? Um, One of the thoughts I do have about this is also hearing the plea of people who are, uh, I have a friend who works in in an assisted living and she has people in there who basically say, I'm old. I live a good life. I want my family around. I would rather die tomorrow and mm-hmm. see my children mm-hmm. than live for two more years and not get to see them. Mm-hmm. And I think that is also something to be respected. Mm-hmm. There certainly are um, extenuating circumstances, you know, situations where you really are weighing the moral, ethical, compassionate choice, you know, Mm -hmm. that it's, I think you raised just a really poignant and tender example that the compassionate response in that scenario may well be getting together provided it's not putting others beyond that person at risk. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, we're still, there's still the common good that, that we're hopefully holding here, you know, and I think that's hard again, given, given our history as a society and where we are currently to, to kind of hold that desire for our individual satisfaction and then responsibility for the greater good. I, you know, I think if people can do it, safely great 
it's okay. just it's it's just making sure those um, safety measures are in place. There was a lovely blurb on Twitter. I'm sure that's not good Twitter language, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's a blurb to me um, about I think it was Germany, maybe or Italy, where the care home had developed a kind of a setup where older the elders who were in the care home could hug their loved ones through kind of a thin plastic or or sheath of some kind Mm -hmm. and they were monitored and kind of helped um with the nursing staff to be able to have that kind of contact you know and it's touching it's not ideal but better than not at all Mm -hmm. you know so i i do think there are compassionate measures that we can take and again, you know, in many ways, Judy, we're just talking about boiling this down to basics. Like, how do we how do we problem solve and innovate around being able to experience touch during a pandemic? Mm-hmm. Just that one thing. That one thing is huge. And people are on it. They're mm-hmm. working on it. So, yeah, let's take that a little bit further. Because one of the questions that I had... Um, in a conversation recently was somebody who basically, you know, he's like, look, I, you know, recently uh, gotten out of a relationship. I'm used to having a person and animals around me and they're not here. Mm -hmm. And now we're going into this long, cold winter Mm -hmm. and we're getting, the pandemic is getting worse again. How do, how do I deal with this through spring? You know, when there is no, physical connection that you know that like he says i'm i'm missing that connection from that person like that's the you know the, though it, it, it's an ended relationship that's an important piece and and how do how do we function in that it, how do people kind of get through that because i think there's a lot of people for a lot of different reasons whether it's a a living situation um that isn't ideal or you know like like you and I had mentioned is, you know, people living together, but in the process of getting a divorce, but living together and you can't bring other people into your area. So you can't just feed that another way. And then what chance, you know, everything you do is what chances you take. How do, how do we think about that in getting through this? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. The go-to for me, when I think about this is, First, how we regard ourselves, um, capital S and little s, (laughs) as whole people, you know, our holistic being. And in doing that, really recognizing um, that we're more than one aspect of what we might be into. And so, for example, let's think about our five senses. How are we nurturing the needs of our five senses? Are we needing to feel touch? Are we needing to have some tactile experience of holding or just something else against our skin? And, and granted, I, I'm kind of depersonalizing this. I'm, we want a human being to do that, but let's say that's not an option. Doing that for oneself is important. It's important even if you're not in the middle of a pandemic. So things like and I don't know if this person that you're talking about would scoff at this or be open, but but literally things that can activate our um, parasympathetic system um, in our central nervous system to relax us, to calm us, to um, 
help us feel calm is one way to address that. So for example, a warm bath or a hot bath. I prefer hot, (laughs) a hot bath. (laughs) Epsom salts, really, truly, that is so good for your your muscles, your body. And to be held in the water, Mm. if you have a bath or if you don't, if you have a shower, a shower is good too. It's not quite the same thing. I mean, functionally, that's prescriptive. We, we know that that is beneficial to your muscles and to your body and to your, your uh, central nervous system. The other thing that I have come to really appreciate is weighted blankets. Are you familiar with weighted blankets? I am. I've never used one for any length of time, but I'm familiar mm-hmm. with them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for, for a similar reason that you literally f- can feel the deep pressure stimulation um, on in your body that you might feel with a hug or being held or from a lover or with a lover um, or sleeping together with somebody, which again, it decreases that sympathetic nervous system response and promotes the more parasympathetic nervous system. And that can create that relaxation. It can lower your heart rate and blood pressure and it can feel as though you're being held Um, and it promotes sleep. And we know that insomnia um, and poor sleep is a symptom right now that we're seeing um, with just stress and anxiety around um, COVID and all the conditions related to COVID and, and not sleeping is really detrimental to our overall health, mental health, physical health. Sleep is so important. Now this isn't ideal, but remember, we only want to use all or nothing thinking in specific situations. <laughs> when it comes to getting our needs met in this way, we might have to just be satisfied with incremental, right? Um, the other thing is this person is in grief. Mm-hmm. And, and when we're in grief, we have to go through the process. We have to experience the thing that we don't want to experience. And that's the absence of that other or that process or that concept of ourselves or whatever it is that we are grieving. Right. And that sucks. I mean, it just sucks. Oh, it does. (laughs) It sucks. It hurts. It physically hurts. And that is another reason why it's so important to take tender, loving care, truly, truly being tender with oneself. And my little body, my creature body needs warmth. I'm going to take a hot bath. My creature body needs to feel held. I'm going to, you know, have my weighted blanket. Um, Or just even a soft blanket. Like I was given a gift of a amazingly soft blanket a a, a couple years ago. And it is like my favorite thing because it does have, it feels really, really different if I'm lying under that than if I'm just lying under a sheet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, there's just this tenderness and and something very nurturing and comforting. The sensation is lovely, right? It Mm -hmm. feels good. It's pleasant. There are reasons babies carry about blankets. Yeah, the little silk line or lining that they like to rub with their fingers. And yeah. we're all still those little babies. You know, we're we're still the person we were when we we're born. We've just developed more aspects of ourselves. So so those creature needs are still there and need to be attended to. Um I would say by that same token, um, listening to 
music is really good for our brains and um, for our central nervous system and being intentional about what kind of music we listen to should be pleasant and not agitating. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are some classical um, uh, music, there's some classical music out there that is particularly good. And I can maybe send you some resources later if that's something you want to put on your website. I love music. So that's, yeah, that's, that's awesome. been a huge go-to for me. Um, I would also say, you know, we talked about ritual and structure and having some kind of ritual is, it feels more abstract, but it is a way of holding oneself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that there is something around you that holds you in a space. Mm. And so again, when you are needing, longing for holding you can create that through your rituals. You know, do you get up and have tea or a cup of coffee and light a candle and maybe read something soothing? Do you do the same thing when you go to bed minus the coffee? Um, uh, the other thing is allow yourself some treats, you know, and, and as long as they're not sabotaging your ultimate goal. And, you know, what I mean by a treat is, you know, something that's enjoyable and pleasant, pleasurable for you. That, that stimulates feeling good, you know, smelling baked bread in the oven or ginger cookies or, you know, whatever it is for you, lighting a scented candle. Um, there's that olfactory sensation. And we know that aromatherapy can be very effective for people. Mm-hmm. Well, gosh, just thinking about the food thing, you know, and thinking about all of the senses, like, you know, I... I... <laughs> I remember sitting in this Indian restaurant in New York and I had just, it was new food. I'd never been there before and everything was so good. And I was like alone in the restaurant. So I would like, I was the annoying person who would like take a bite, go, "Mm," like, I was just like whole body into this. This was a true food orgasm and ended up the lady who owned the restaurant. I think she was having so much fun. She brought me this delightful dessert and everything. It was so sweet. And she, well, you know, I, I lived in India for a while and they, they tend to really appreciate when you appreciate their stuff, right? Like I I stayed in an Ayurvedic hospital and they thought it was so cool that I embraced everything. I didn't want American food. I wanted their food. I wanted their tea. They they thought it was awesome. Yeah. And it's, so I think there was that appreciation, but it was so funny because I just let myself enjoy, but it was just, it was so good. I couldn't help it, you know? And you think about how much that serves your being and your body to be able to just love it you know yeah that's beautiful and to share that with this uh, restaurant owner you know in a culture that could appreciate that kind of communion with food and what that means to you holistically and you have senses to enjoy that right that's one of the reasons we have these you know senses um so to cultivate that in in whatever way you can um Again, with the caveat that it's not sabotaging your ultimate goal or harming you in any way. You know, a lot of people are turning to alcohol mm-hmm. right now, and I like a glass of wine or a good beer. So it's not that I think there's something wrong with having a drink, but I do think, um, and I know from my work and my research, that alcohol is an extremely powerful drug. And and I say that because of how instantaneously it affects you physically. Mm-hmm. 
it's, it works. It's very relaxing. It can be very relaxing in the moment. And, and if that's what you're seeking, a lot of people are self-medicating um, with alcohol to relax. Um, and there's that short-term gain. You feels good. You're like, I can have a drink when I finish getting through my day. And then you want to hang on to that relaxed feeling. So you have another drink because you want to hang on to that relaxed feeling. And then it's going away because... <laughs> You know, that's what happens. It goes away and then you're stressed because it's going away and then you want another drink and then you're stressed because you're having another drink and then you can't sleep. Anyway, so I'm getting off into my substance abuse model, but the, the, um, so it's, you got to know what's good for you in terms of your, how you're treating yourself, so to speak. Um, so some self, some sort of self-examination and reflection. And it's an interesting time to do that because we're out of a lot of our habits. So we, we, sometimes it, it feels almost harder to self-examine, but if you can take the time and go, huh, this is different. This feels weird. What does this mean to me and how do I help it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there has to be some level of self-awareness, some willingness to be present to yourself. You know, it's like just checking in with yourself. You know, we check in with our friends, our kids, you know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Are you hungry? Are you cold? Do you need a hug? Or, you know, what do you need? Are we doing that with ourselves? Mm -hmm. How am I doing? Scan my body. Am I tired? Am I hungry? You know, what's my attitude right now? What do I need to do about that? Right. Um, So in many ways, we don't have the luxury of going on automatic you know, and we were on automatic as a society for a while, and that got us into trouble, I think. I do want to say, I, I want to emphasize something with this self-care piece in this person and, and the loneliness and isolation and, you know, uh, maybe less than ideal living situations. I mean, we, in some ways, we just have to make do, you know. So <laughs> I'll give you an example. In, in my house, we don't have a working fireplace, but I love fires. Mm-hmm. And so I turn on the Netflix Birchwood edition fireplace. Oh yes. And <laughs> I love it. And the people in my house think I'm a mutant. <laughs> a, I'm misusing the television. B, I'm bastardizing fires. And C, what could be more boring? Um, but it's, it's a simple pleasure and I'm taking control of my environment and I can take my computer and put it on my computer anywhere that I might be in the house. <laughs> that is so funny. I love it. it, it it's kind of silly and it's just for me and it, it's comforting, you know, so it, it, this, this person and other people who are feeling isolated and alone, I, you know, I definitely feel for them. And, and definitely empathy and, and some kinship, you know, are in a less than ideal living situation. But I do think it gets back to our willingness to accept reality for what it is right now, making the most of it, and building a loving relationship with ourselves and accepting the pain. You know, not trying to make the pain go away before it's worked through what it needs to work through. Um, There are people who are lonely out there who um, 
you know, connect online with other people. And some of those are healthy ways of connecting. Some of them aren't. Um, but I do think reaching out and letting people know when you're feeling lonely and that you want to talk or connect or even just watch a movie together distantly, you know, mm-hmm. you can have your zoom on or your FaceTime on, you can watch a movie together. My son Lars is doing play dates remotely, you know, it's, um, it's not ideal, but in many ways, it's like, we're all in this together. Look at us. All the things that, yeah, well, and it's an interesting thing. And I, I, I don't, want to um, discount anybody's feeling of loneliness. But I, one of the things I, I was listening to a while into the pandemic and people were just talking about, you know, I'm alone. I haven't, I haven't touched another human being for two weeks and, uh, and all of this stuff. And I, I was listening to that going, I both feel for you mm-hmm. and hope that you can remember that people experience this all the time without a pandemic and they don't always have solutions. So, you know, it's, it's also, it's also that, and it is that question of, so how do we do this? We do have this added layer of the pandemic and this feeling that we're now locked in a different way. And I think that that's very real, but it's also like, yeah, how do we figure out how do we solve this? Because you can't just, you know, and for some people, they, they can't just go out and go, to see people in a good time, right? It's just not yeah. a thing that they have. So it's yeah. not, again, don't want to discount, but it is an interesting thing to go, huh, how do I, how do I wrap my head around this and what do I do? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, so we validate our pain in all of its various forms, you know, and, and have gratitude in all of its various forms. Again, there's that dialectic, there's that tension that, you know, we are complicated, we're complex and, so I'm lonely after two weeks of no physical contact and I don't know what to do with this feeling. So I talk about it Mm -hmm. or I complain about it. Um, And maybe I'm missing the gratitude part because I don't have the perspective. Like you were saying, well, there are people who live alone and are lonely and that's their status quo minus the pandemic. Mm -hmm and don't have the options that you do. Um, And so having that perspective, it can kind of chasten you, humble you a little bit. And hopefully rather than shame, it backs us into gratitude. Mm -hmm. And I think the antidote for that is validating that what we feel is real and it's valid and it's part of our reality. And what can I be grateful for? Mm -hmm. and, And to hold that tension. I would say kind of to sum it up, if I could, mm-hmm. <laughs> after all of this time we've been spending together, which has been lovely, I probably could sit and talk with you for hours in front of my little fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> we could have our own fireside chat next yes, year. Yes, there we go. I love um, it. <laughs> we can boil it down really to two questions in terms of coping, assuming we've accepted to a relatively adequate degree of that there's the reality of the pandemic and it's a threat and we need to be cautious and careful. Assuming we've accepted that, the two questions that we need to answer, and this is if we only did these two things in terms of our own stress and our own concerns is ask ourselves what helps and what makes it worse. And guess what? We should do what helps 
and not do what makes it worse. <laughs> Those are my pearls of wisdom. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Simple, challenging in its own way, but simple as well. Yeah, and isn't that the nature of <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Oh, man. Do you have um, some additional resources that you want to throw out there for people? Um, I, I, yes, I do. And so I will throw out a couple of resources in terms of general coping and mental health. Um, one is I, I actually really recommend that people look at the CDC now. I know that they've lost some credibility, um, mm-hmm. but they're regaining that credibility and um, they have some really good resources. So if you went to the cdc.gov coronavirus um, life coping, managing stress, I'll send that to you. Oh, great. Okay. Um, the CDC does have, I thought, I, I read through them and I think a very good resource. Um, in Minnesota, we've got the Minnesota NAMI, National Alliance for Mental Illness, Supportive Resources, General Mental Health Resources. And then we've got the Minnesota Gov COVID updates. And I will also send you that website link. Um, I would also add, again, getting back to some of our government resources, that uh, the SAMHSA, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, actually has a lot of good resources, too. And it would seem, you know, it's only focused on substance abuse, but it is not. Mm. Um, And so I can also send you some of those links, too. So those are starting places in, you know, the more nuanced resources, um, you know, around like music therapy or the Ayurvedic. (laughs) (laughs) Ayurvedic is just, yeah, not always the easiest word to say. Yeah, but that's right, didn't I? You, yeah, you did. Yes, yes. So I am not, I am not a practitioner, but I have been a, uh, uh, I have utilized some of that, those practices and, um, don't have any direct resources, but you might, and I would recommend that those be available. So, uh, you know, it's pretty basic right now. I just, we just need to do what the guidelines say. And, and if we look at some of these, uh, resources and the coping tips, there's no magic wonderful, complicated, hyper choreographed sort of process. It's we're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to protect others. We can do this by wearing our masks, eating well, sleeping, drinking water, getting exercise and abstaining from social contact in the way that we had been um, and just being disciplined to do those things. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've got for you today. And I'll awesome. send you those links and um you know if you have any other questions i am not practicing uh right now i am doing full-time learning with my son oh yeah and and so my practice is closed right now for the time being um but i am doing uh, as we talked about that covid adaptation research and You gave me some really good ideas about developing an atheoretical model, which that's a whole nother ball of wax, but I'm excited to kind of employ some of what we've talked about as I design 
Oh, cool. Is that something when you kind of get that done, is it something you're going to be offering to the world or to practitioners or? Well, I, I, if it, if it seems valuable, um, so we'll see, we'll see if it seems relevant. If, if it seems relevant, sure. I'd love to put it out there in the world. If it's not, that's okay. You know, it's, uh, I think it's an important project and we'll see where it goes. Cool. And yeah. I have on my list that you had a funny story. Did you want to share your funny story or? A funny story. <laughs> I just left the whole thing. I mean, okay, just, that's fine. I just wasn't funny, sure. Right? Do you have a funny story? No, I don't know that I do. I feel like I do somewhere in my head, but I, I, I don't. Yeah, most of my funny sort of stories are sort of more more sad and ironic than, than actually funny. So, <laughs> you know, if it were if there was such a thing as a good COVID joke, but I just I'm hard pressed to, to get the things wrong. So I should have I I should have prepared a funny story. I was hoping maybe one could develop organically, and, and uh, you know, I'll work on that. I need to work on my sense of humor. <laughs> oh, but, oh, but I'm glad you brought that up because as I said in the eco-anxiety podcast, sense of humor is critically important in coping and being well. And, and so finding some humor and maybe there's some gallows humor in there that is okay. Um, but there's a reason people are getting a charge out of these memes online. There's a reason people like to look at cute kitty videos. It feels good. And it, we generate those feel good hormones. So having a good laugh and being silly and finding funny stories to tell, all of those are really, um, good life affirming activities, um, for our being. So I really encourage people to try to foster that. Yes. Yeah. We all need more good belly laughs well it's so good to talk with you and i hope you're hanging in there um taking care of yourself and you know it's a it's a tough time for everybody it is definitely it is definitely that that is for sure yeah this is this is a very different time than any of us most of us i guess have experienced some people have experienced this in in their own ways through their life but for the grand most of us, this is a very different world to try to navigate. Yeah. And a lot of questions of we don't know what we're doing. It's our first time. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So thank you. Thanks for thanks for taking the time and having the conversation. I think, you know, again, this is one of those things that anything we can kind of do to just help ourselves figure out how to do ourselves a little better in the situation is is a is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so thank you. That. Okay. Well, thank you, Judy. And uh, we'll be in touch. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Yep. You're welcome. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you're doing well. And, you know, it's a holiday weekend when this is going out. And I hope that you are able to celebrate or just have some time that you can use creatively or in some way that feels positive or that feels good, that feels nourishing to you. It may not look like the normal Thanksgiving holiday. And trust me, I know some people are really grateful for that. <laughs> but 
I hope that whatever it is can be good for you. You know, it's a time I know that people are struggling when they can't see family. And I know we've all spent a lot of time alone, so it doesn't really necessarily feel special, but I hope that you found a way to make it special for you and nourishing for you in some way or another. Be well, be safe. We'll see you soon. And may you continue to find the pieces that fit into your health and wellness puzzle. Take care. <laughs>